0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, It was great having a few weeks off, but uh, now back to business. And I got a good one to start off the year. You know, we don't talk about the hiking community or the hiking aspect of the trail community uh, as much as we probably should. You know, it is part of trail running. We've talked about power hiking up those hills. So I know that there's a lot of trail runners that do it. So I have brought in a guest that's an avid hiker. She's an outdoor hiking educator, a member of her local search and rescue team, an author, and she's also set the fastest known time for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is a 948 mile hike that she completed in 29 days, 10 hours, all to raise money for the park search and rescue program. Uh, There's a lot that goes into, into that hike. There's I'd love to know how she did it, the stories along the way. So let's just get right into it. Please welcome Nancy East. Well, help me turn the turn in. Well, help me get it right. you very honored to be here yeah thanks for joining me up this is uh we got connected through through an online uh podcast match so it's it's really great i i've met some really interesting individuals this way and it's it's awesome and i typically well, i'm based out of san diego and so i talk to a lot of san diego and like southwest and even colorado uh, individuals so i don't get a chance to talk to a lot of east coasters uh very often so uh it's kind of nice to get that different uh different aspect of, the hiking and trail you know, community. So um, again, thank you for being on here. So I, I wanna get into you, you are part of your search and rescue program for the last few years, last six years, I believe. Um, so what does, so are you part of the search and rescue program in the Great Smoky Mountains?
1: Yep, okay. Western North Carolina. Yeah, and that's a good question because it's a little bit confusing. So the park, the National Park Service, every park has their own search and rescue team within the boundaries of that park. They're paid employees. Uh, Sometimes they draw from different departments. That's not exclusively what most of them do, but there are also agencies that reside usually outside of national parks, and that is the type of team I'm on. I'm part of my county search and rescue team, and we are tethered to our rescue squad, but we do much more wilderness search and rescue than urban searches. We do get involved in that sometimes, too, but because Great Smoky Mountains National Park is in my county or, or portion of it, it's half a million acres, and so it's, a, it's a, a big park. There are several counties that it surrounds, but ours is one of them, and it's really probably the biggest chunk in the North Carolina part of the park because it's divided equally roughly equally between North Carolina and Tennessee. So we respond to calls within our County that take place in the park, but we also sometimes get involved in multi agency searches that encompass, uh, you know, different counties than ours if it's a, a long extended search or a, wow. a big operation.
0: So, you know, along the way, like I have any, cause I think that's how you kind of got into the hiking thing, right? Is because one of the search and rescues that you had to go on there, it was a it was a woman I think that that kind of spawned this thing about getting on the hikes and getting into the trail systems and all that stuff. Like what was, what's the story behind that?
1: Yeah. So I've been hiking since college. So 1997, I graduated from veterinary school. I'm a retired veterinarian now, but when I I was in vet school, I would come to the Smokies to backpack, just to blow off steam on the weekends after, you know, the rigor of school, that kind of thing. So I found a job up here and moved here in 97 and have always been an avid hiker and backpacker. But I joined the uh, SAR team six years ago in the wake of, well, it was a different hiker that went missing and she wound up being okay, but it opened my eyes to just that there was a search and rescue team here in my county, it was a long extended search people thought she'd been abducted so it got a lot of media attention turns out she just got lost and fell down a hill and was badly injured but That's how I got into more of outdoor education. I just started to see more and more where things would go awry for hikers. And it was just based out of ignorance. They would do things that they didn't even know were putting them in danger. And I thought, I want to take it upon myself just as a, a, you know, another public service to educate people as much as I can, how to avoid becoming lost or injured on these hikes to avoid, well, the worst that can happen, obviously, is death. But the least is just minimally scarred emotionally from the experience. Yeah.
0: And I, I want to get into that in a, in a little bit um, because I think there's some really cool things that uh, you could give to our listeners as far as some some tips, I guess, as a, maybe a new hiker, or you know, avid hiker even. Um, but I want to get into the, the FKT first and the fastest known time. How did everything from being an avid hiker to being on the search and rescue program kind of lead you into wanting to do all of the, you know, search all the, urban, not search, but hike all the trails in the National Park there.
1: Yeah, that's one of these crazy stories that just one thing led to another in ways that sometimes I can't even explain. But where the the beginning of that started was a search in the park at the highest point called Klingman's Dome. It's a peak that's a little bit over 6,000 feet. There was a woman from Ohio visiting it. It's a very popular place just because it is the highest point in the park. There are a lot of trails that shoot off from it, including the Appalachian Trail. She was on a hike with her daughter, who was a young adult, they were returning. It was an out and back hike. They were returning back to the car. About nine tenths of a mile from the trailhead, they separated. The daughter wanted to go to the summit of this mountain because there's an iconic observation tower. She just wanted to see it. Susan Clements, the mother said, I'm just not feeling it. You go ahead. I'll meet you at the car. Well, Susan never showed up. She basically wound up missing, we think anyway, the turnoff to the parking lot. There's a right hand turn off the main trail where you go back up to the parking lot. We think she was just tired, had her head down, focused on the trail. She wound up on the Appalachian Trail that evening and then wandered south on it. She was found a week later deceased off trail. Yeah, on a creek drainage. She had died of hypothermia, just, you know, obviously core body temperature, not sustainable with life anymore, got too low. And it was just really just a, an eye opener to a lot of people in the hiking community. They just couldn't believe she got lost where she got lost. she. They, everybody who knows that trail thought this is too easy to find your way back. How in the world would somebody get turned around and then die that evening? And to me, it made perfect sense just after seeing all the things that I saw in search and rescue over those years. So I took it upon myself at that point to take up my outdoor education outreach even further, and wanted to raise money for the park who specifically wanted to implement a preventative search and rescue program, and that would entail rangers educating visitors more before they went out on these hikes that they thought were safe because they're so populated and whatnot. And they needed about thirty thousand dollars to do it, and I thought, well, how am the you know hell am I going to raise thirty thousand dollars single-handedly? I'm not sure what I'm taking on. I've purchased some things. I don't know what pulled me. So so intensely towards it, but I knew it had to be something flashy, something showy to draw attention to the cause. Um, I used to be a runner, a very slow runner. I've never been super athletic. I would never play sports in college or high school, any of that. So here I am, this middle-aged minivan driving mom who says, I'm going to go take on this record, which at the time was about 43 days. And it felt Doable to me to take it <laughs> on and tackle it and hopefully you know surpass the or, or beat the record and then raise this money in the process by drawing attention to somebody who looked like an unlikely candidate to get a fastest known time. Um, meanwhile, a good friend of mine was thinking the same thing, not tethering it to a fundraiser, but he just wanted to go out and crush the current record. And I knew he was capable. He's incredibly athletic. But we decided to team up for the effort and uh, talk about being. Scared. I knew what he was capable of and what I thought I was <laughs> capable of. So I had to be coerced quite a bit that I was capable of a, a more aggressive time. Um, and meanwhile, then the record was actually beat again. Uh, an ultra runner from Tennessee, very accomplished guy, brought it down 10 days to 33 days. So that was the time that we had to beat. Oh. When we set out the hike So, yeah. So, talking about shaking in the trail runners, that was me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, if- a lot of people that are listening probably don't know the terrain of the of the park or where like how it sits in the mountains and everything so what what kind of terrain were you having to battle And what's the elevation, what was the total elevation gain?
1: Yeah, I do remember because I just looked it up yesterday for a friend who reached out randomly and asked me. We actually ascended, it was 160,000 feet of ascent and I think it was just a little over 200,000 feet of descent. Oh my God, uh, okay all right so it was intense
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this is so what you're saying was it was a
1: flat trail yeah there you a, go a completely yeah. flat trail you're doing <laughs> like, yeah yeah the smokies are not known for being flat so is or it uh, quick,
0: so and i assume it's a lot of just a lot of single track like off-road single track not a lot of like service road style, uh, trail. I'm sure there is some in there, obviously, but there's probably a lot of just tight single track and some really wooded areas, obviously. And <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, very gnarly. But there are some, you know, certainly old roadbeds and things because before the Smokies became a national park, there were communities. It was where people lived, and so there are certainly remnants of those communities including, well, even logging roads when the park was heavily forested before it became a park obviously. So, but yeah, for the most part, it's brutal, rugged trail. They just don't believe in switchbacks like they do out west, so you're just going like up
0: and break down. So doing it over a course and you said it's it's how many acres? It's it's five hundred thousand? A little million? over
1: five hundred thousand, yeah, about a half okay. million
0: acres. So big so, part. So you were doing Western Carolina to Tennessee is that kind of the way you had to do it?
1: Yeah, it, basically the spine or the spine of the park is bisected by the Appalachian Trail. You've got this big land mass, but right through the middle, on the the kind of the long side of it, there is the AT, and then you've got these two watersheds that go down from there. So you know you could kind of extrapolate and think of like something like the Continental Divide, where you've got you know the water on the western side going to the Pacific, and then the other side on the Atlantic. It's a similar concept in the Smokies that the watershed's either drain into Tennessee or into North Carolina.
0: You know, doing it in 29 days, obviously you're moving across the park, so there's not really a chance to like park your car and do a hike and then get back to your car and move on to another spot, right? So you're pretty much traversing from literally one side to the next campsites. And is is there? There's not campsites in that area of the national park, right? Or there is? Oh
1: yeah, yeah, there are. Front country car camping sites, several of those. And then you also have backcountry sites, which you have to reserve and get a reservation okay. for. So there's a mixture of both. And but yeah, to your point, it is not a linear trail. It's not like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, where you just yeah. go from point A to point B. We call it the Gordian Knot that you have to unwind and get strategic about just because you've got to find the most efficient routes that won't just crush your soul in the process. The yeah. of them. So, <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, that was a big endeavor to mapping it out.
0: So you're getting a chance to and you I assume you're you're staying at those campsites along the way, or are you having to kind of just plop a campsite down and in the middle of, in the middle of the park somewhere just to get some rest. I assume that's exactly. also the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now we, we honestly, we only backpacked one night of the entire endeavor. We, oh, really? yes, we were really lucky. Yeah. We had a lot because this was a fundraiser and we did it for a nonprofit that's supports the park essentially, but they have a lot of um, just community support with a lot of local businesses. So we actually had some donated hotel rooms. We each were able to stay in our own hotel room many nights. I live on the, the border, obviously of the park here in North Carolina. So we stayed in my home a few nights. So oh, okay. we bounced around, you know, we did have to bounce around quite a bit. We were never just stationary the entire time, but it just depended on the route and the day where we were that night to sleep. Oh, got it. Well, that, that definitely helps keep you fresh then. I mean, that's, Absolutely.
0: you know, I've talked to a few other uh, people who've done a lot of the fastest known times across other areas. And it's, pretty much been a lot of like, there is a lot of camping, a lot of, a lot of just taking its toll on, on you when, especially when you get to that day, 27, 28, 29, it's gotta be pretty, pretty much you're, you're mentally just drained, I would assume. So that's nice that you had that opportunity to stay in some hotels and stay in, in your hometown. What's the nutrition like along, along the way? Like what's your, I guess the first question should be like, what is your longest hike? throughout the, throughout the day and how does that, how does the nutrition play out in the, during that, during that time frame,
1: Yeah. So our average over the entire 29 days was about 32 miles a day. The longest day we did was I think in a 24 hour period it wow, that being like 48 miles, I want to say something in the 40 mile range. And yeah, so we would eat on the go just because we hiked the entire thing. We never ran a single step of it. And we were very intentional about trying to keep the <laughs> runner's time by only walking. That well, that, that's run. impressive.
0: If it's, if it's all hundred percent hiking, that that is totally impressive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we were out there longer, you know, the runners can get it done faster. We know that they beat up their body in that concentrated amount of time more. So we were able to stay out longer. Chris, my, my good friend and partner in this, we both don't need a lot of sleep. So that was a big advantage for us because we could go out and hike 16, 18 hours a day, catch a few winks of sleep, and then just go out and do it again. So that was our big benefit. But yeah, we would eat on the go. Essentially, we would hardly ever just stop and eat. We ate on the run a good bit um, and decided just to, or not on the run, but as we walked, we would just have snacks in our hip belt pockets, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really beneficial to us. It was anything from trail mix to, you know, homemade rice cake type things that I would eat, um, nut butters, just all that kind of stuff.
0: How does your search and rescue experience, how how much did you, uh, this obviously played a huge part in how you knew you could handle going longer distances, searching, to, you know, going through the woods and all that stuff. Like how much, do you, how much of your search and rescue background do you say helped, helped out?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly helped out in the sense of, you know, knowing the park very intimately, just where people get tripped up and have yeah. injuries, that type of thing. That was really helpful. Just having a friend to do it with me. I mean, initially I was going to do it alone until my friend Chris decided he wanted to do it too. And we teamed up, but just from a safety perspective, you know, as you know, it's always yeah. safer to have two versus one person out there in case something happens. But we did both carry an in-reach, a Garmin in-reach that if we ever did have a true emergency, we had that lifeline to the outside world should we need it. Um, But yeah, I think just other than just knowing just how people really get messed up in the woods with getting lost and injured and all that, just having that background and awareness is certainly helpful at any point.
0: Coming in from it from the as you said, you're a hiker that wants to try and beat the runner on this thing, right? So, being the fact that you'd know the know some of the area, you know the trails, you know how to react in some situations, I guess. That would that would help propel a hiker a little bit faster than a runner that doesn't really maybe know the area as well. So, I can see how how you guys could be, could you beat his day, his time
1: by f- four days, it looks like. Not four days. Yeah. And interestingly though, he was very accomplished at the Smokies. It's his kind of his home base for running. He, oh. before he turned 50, he ran a, an ultra in every single state. I mean, this is the kind of guy this guy is. He's very driven, very accomplished, but his home base is the Smokies because he lives in Knoxville, Tennessee or near it. And okay. he had actually completed, I believe when he started his FKT attempt, nine, what we call laps around the park. So he had completed all the trails. Oh, okay. time, time. so he certainly had a, a good bit of knowledge so he
0: so he knew too okay
1: he yeah he did <laughs> no he's, yeah, he yeah he had an injury early on that slowed him down a little bit i'm a little scared of what to think what he could have done you know otherwise but i think he was probably aiming for what we what we got right <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: i got injured too yeah. hey
0: a, a win is a win it doesn't matter a win is a win <laughs> um so i i I know there's gotta be some really cool stories as far as your time out there in, in the woods and on the trails, like what are some of the some of the coolest things that you saw or like, I, there's gotta be some really cool animal, animal experiences out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And your black bears are very common in the Smokies. I think they say there are four to six of them per every square mile. So we certainly oh, came shit. across plenty of those, lots of oh. snakes, you know, we were doing this in September, October. So it was a little bit of a shoulder season. We had some cool mornings and evenings. We hiked a lot at night. So we would see tons of salamanders, just kind of kamikaze off of rocks and just Things like that were always fun because you just get so intimately acquainted with this space when you're in it for that long. Uh, You just, I kind of felt like a resident of the park, kind of felt pretty wild myself by (laughs) the end. But um, yeah, interestingly, there was one incident with a bear that thankfully we were not involved in, but it was one of the things that became a very defining characteristic of our entire FKT ultimately. Uh, We were hiking along the Appalachian Trail one day For the one overnight that I mentioned in the backcountry, we were heading down to a backcountry campsite that evening. My son and nephew, who were both 17 at the time, along with an adult chaperone, a a new friend of mine that had decades of experience in the outdoors, were heading into that site from a different direction to bring our gear to us. They were going to just Sherpa it in so we didn't have to carry it we got a notification on a trailhead. There was a sign posted as we were about to make our final descent to meet them about seven miles away and it said that the trail was completely closed because of a bear. And we thought, that's unusual. Bears usually don't shut down a whole trail. They'll they'll act naughty in a campsite. They steal people's food or people feed them because they get fearful of them. And the campsite shuts down, but a trail is not common to close. So we had reception high on the ridge. We found out from Chris's wife. He called her and said, hey, what's up? Have you heard anything about this campsite? Because it's on this trail. It's where Dawson, Aiden, and Isaac are headed. She said, oh yeah, it's all over the news. There was a man in the campsite. Two nights prior, who was deceased and was being scavenged on by the bear. Uh, Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, it was just brutal. So it's another high him It was just terrible. Long story short, he actually, it was a predatory attack, is what they determined it probably was that caused his death. And so it was just an incredibly rare thing in the park. Only one other person has died in that, in the Smokies, anyway, from a black bear attack. And they think this was the second one. So it was a really sobering time, just all of it. Um, We couldn't hike to meet our party down at the bottom. They had to go to a different campsite. We got rerouted. Yeah. It ended up adding an extra day to our FKT because that trail reopened towards the end. So we had to <laughs> go hike it. You know? so it, was, it, it wound up being a big mess because our original goal was to hike it in 28 days, not 29, but that derailed that immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was probably one of the more interesting stories that happened. Just wow. unfortunately, uh, it was a tragic one for the people involved that, you know, the, certainly this family's loss is just enormous.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, we don't really have, I mean, we shit, we don't have any bears here in San Diego, so we don't have to worry about that. But we get, we get the mountain lion aspect of it all the time. And, and so that's, I've never heard of, well, we've heard of some mountain lion attacks, but nothing that it's like predatory like that. So that's yeah. so gnarly. And I, I've heard like black bears are probably some of the meanest bears that you can probably come across. Right. I think. And it's, I,
1: yeah, they can definitely. I think statistically they have caused more deaths than grizzlies, which is interesting. You would think that yeah. the grizzlies would be all over that number. But yeah, I think it's black bears. So, but in the Smokies, you know, I see them all the time. It's rare to not see one on one of my hikes just because I'm out there so much. And it. Uh, I've never had a, well, I did have one encounter where I was bluff charged by a bear, but I just spooked it coming around a corner. So it made sense. It just startled yeah. it and it ran towards me and stopped. But yeah, to have a predatory attack, incredibly uncommon and rare. So it just, it was so strange though, to think of all the days, you know, during this FKT, here I am sending <laughs> my son to this campsite and my nephew. Be, you know, one of those moments as a mom where your heart just kind of sinks and thinks, oh my God, I hope it wasn't one of our people that was being scavenged yeah
0: yeah it changes changes yeah. the the mindset right as yeah. you're as you're going on on that trail trying to figure out what's what's going on and everything else definitely so you're doing this during uh you said september time frame so is there a lot of is there any rivers or streams that run through the national parks that that could be worrisome as far as having to cross over or yeah. being it, it's the september um is there are the waters high during that time frame or is it how is that
1: yeah. If if you look at averages and historical data points, it should be a very dry season. And it typically is. And for the most part, we were OK with rain and all that. But we did have two tropical storm remnants that came out of the Gulf that just dumped on the park. I mean, just dumped. And so what typically should be historically low water levels became just transit or uh, transiently high during those time frames. We got lucky for the most part, but we did have a few days where we almost had to reroute things to avoid some unbridged crossings that we knew would be not possible. Um, there was one in particular that we wound up chancing and thought by the time we get to it, it probably will have drained out enough. And it had drained out enough that it was, if I had been alone, I never would have done it. I was very thankful for a, a tall friend <laughs> 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 behind me the entire crossing and had my back the whole time and was much more confident. Chris, my friend, is through hike the Pacific Crest Trail. So he is very uh, accomplished with Sierra Cross crossings or Sierra CR Stream crossings after snow melt and all that. So he just knows how to read water better than I do. So I knew that if he trusted that we could cross, that I could trust that. So that that went a long way for me. Um but yeah we had some some, you know, marginally sketchy ones. Nothing that felt life threatening, though. Uh what part of Tennessee do you end up finishing in? We Is actually that... finished in North Carolina. The oh, final you did? Mm-hmm. yeah okay. we, that was just uh you know something that a lot of people give a lot of thought to because this is kind of a thing in the smokies to hike all the trails there's a club called the 900 miler club and if you okay. hike all the trails you can apply pay 10 bucks you know get a little patch or whatever to put on your backpack and be a member of that club have your name on a website so people are really strategic about where are they in their map chris uh-huh. the and i typically aren't we both hiked several maps and we just kind of like whatever we'll just finish where we finish but that one we did become intentional we wanted it to be a Place where people could come and celebrate with us, where there was enough you know, parking. We had gotten quite a bit of media attention, so we knew that probably a lot of people would come out. So we ended in a place called Big Creek, which is just one of the bigger creeks, obviously in the park, and it has a nice parking area and a picnic area. So we were very just honored and touched at how many people came out to celebrate with us that day. So the you raised what thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? So
0: as part of the preventative search and rescue, so, and you mentioned a little bit earlier that it, that's kind of the, an opportunity for park rangers to talk about uh, some of the things that you can see out on the trails to a lot of the hikers. Is that like a, is that a full-time program that that's kind of carried on throughout the year? Is that kind of a seasonal thing as the park sees its high high season, low season?
1: Uh, Yes and yes. I think that there's probably always ongoing um, implementation of it. And I'm not sure how that manifests in the more off season, like right now in the winter, but certainly in the high season, which is any other season than winter, it requires a lot of volunteer help. They have these specific rangers that lead the program, but then they draw from the community with, you know, experienced hikers, people who know the area, and they do some training, I'm sure, but they position them at some of the more popular trailheads, and so as people hit that trail, they have these volunteer staff who will make sure that they have what they need in their pack, they make sure that they know, you know, if you get turned around or lost, don't keep moving, stop, you know, help will be on the way, Um, you know, make sure that they've left an itinerary with someone in case they don't come home, so somebody even knows that they're lost if they can't make a call to the outside world, just that kind of thing um so i think that's primarily what it's funded is those rangers who then head up a program that has a, a pretty strong pull from the community as well
0: being a trail, I, i'm a, being a race director and i work with a ton of park rangers and that's kind of one of the th- things that I always love talking to them about is some of the, you know, programs and everything else that they have in their parks yeah. and what they do to, to help out, you know, hikers and campers and everything else. So that's kind of cool that, that uh, you're able to help raise some money for those programs. And that kind of leads me into, to the next conversation of, you know, you're an outdoor educator, which is you kind of a hike instructor, so to speak. And so there, we, we get a lot of new trail runners and trail hikers to our races. If you wouldn't mind, what, what would be some of, some of the, you know, top five tips, I guess, that you could, that you could give to a new hiker that's going out to um, whether it's a, and I'm sure that the, the information that you give can kind of be applied to a, a national park like the great Smokies or to someplace that's a little bit more urban to, you know, to some degree, um, because it all kind of meshes together. So off the top of your head, like top five uh, things, I guess, that you you would give to a hiker.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would say, first and foremost, leave, especially if you're going go to go into a backcountry setting where you're not going to have reception, most likely, or at least sketchy reception, leave an itinerary. Always leave that plan with somebody and have them be accountable to make sure you return home. You know, if you if you're a single person and you go out and then don't check back in with that person, they may not know that you're even out there still. Uh, So always do that. That helps us tremendously to know where somebody went and what time when they should have been off trail. Carry the essentials. You know, anybody can just Google the 10 essentials and find the things that they should carry on their person at all times to make sure they can survive a situation. Uh, Be able to use those things if you do uh, have something that happens, you need to be able to build a fire or know how to build a fire, you know, know how to just at least know the basics of navigation. Don't just rely on technology for your navigation. Carry a physical compass and know how to use it. Check the weather forecast, not just the day that you're out, but following days into the future, just in case you're out there longer than you expect. We've had situations where people go out, especially here in the southeast on a balmy day in winter because it's unseasonably warm. And we just had this happen actually the last two days, the next day, it's 15 degrees at night and there's snow on the ground. So yes. if you are not prepared for that, you could certainly really be in a pinch if you're not sure, or if you're not equipped to survive those conditions versus when you set out. Gosh, and then I'd say the fifth one is probably if you can afford it, carry a personal locator beacon like the Garmin inReach. There are others out there too. The Zolio is a newer one, uh, just something that gives you that lifeline to the outside world. So if you you should truly have an SOS type situation where you need help and don't have cell reception. All you gotta do is push that SOS button and help will be on the way. I really appreciate you coming on and and
0: talking about this. And uh, if anybody really wants to learn a little bit more about your FKT and some of the um, adventures in in the the Great Smokies, you wrote a book. Um, it's chasing the smoky moon, and it just got published. Congratulations, by the way. Great. So, where where can people find that book? And I mean, what is it? Is it pretty much just chronicle your time out there during the during your fastest known?
1: It does, but it's not quite that straightforward either. There's a lot of projection uh, or, or backstories of search and rescue operations in the Smokies. quite oh, a cool. kind of few stories I share. Yeah, there's the Susan Clement story, obviously the woman who got lost at Cleanman's Stone. but there are many others. Um, I weave in some of my own personal story of grief into it because I lost my mom, not to being lost on a trail, but to cancer. And so there's some parallels with that. Uh, but certainly, the FAT is a big part of it. It's kind of the engine that drives everything else. But yeah, so thank you for mentioning that. And I'm really proud of it. But my website is probably the best place to purchase it just because you can get a, a signed copy or a gift-assigned copy to someone else. Amazon has it as well. Um, local bookstores can carry it if people request for them to purchase it. I always like to support the local indie bookstores way more than Amazon. Amazon. So if people can do that, that's always a better choice, but I get it. Amazon's easy too, but I sell it for the same price as Amazon. So, um, but yeah, my website is just my name, nancyeast.com and they can find all kinds of outdoor educational content on my website as well. It's not just the book. There's a lot there.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. So if anybody's listening in and, and, uh, wants to check that out later on, you can, you'll be able to go to Nancy's website and, and follow her through, uh, you know, get her book, get some tips on some outdoor activities and hiking, and uh, you'll be able to follow her on social media as well. So thank you very much, Nancy, for for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I, I don't really talk about the hiking aspect of it enough. And that is a huge part of the trail community. So it's kind of nice to get the new year started off on on a different topic that we haven't really touched on. So um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and, and best of luck to you and, and everything out there. And hopefully you don't have to do too many search and rescues.
1: <laughs> yes, that's that's, we, we would love to uh, work yeah. on a job happens, yeah, exactly right <laughs> yeah. well i really appreciate being on your show this has been a lot of fun
0: all right that'll do it for another episode of the trail life podcast uh I really appreciate you guys listening in. Thank you very much. And happy new year once more. Uh, I know I missed being on the mic, but it was also great to have that time off. So I can't thank Nancy East enough for joining me on the first episode of 2022. It was awesome listening in on her FKT experience, uh, talking about search and rescue, and talking about a little bit of tips for the beginner hiker, avid hiker as well. So hopefully you guys took a little bit of information and, and enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. Uh, if you want to take a look at Nancy's book, uh, it's called chasing the smoky moon. You can find it on Amazon or even on her website, nancyeast.com. Um, I will put that all in the show notes that'll have her social media as well in there. So if you want to go ahead and give her a follow, reach out to her, ask questions. I know she's always willing to take a look at those and answer anything you guys have got. All right, guys. Thank you again. And I'll see you on the trails real soon.